Right, so we're going through um, the second half of my series, right? Where we're going to go through the seven churches. And we begin that um, this morning uh, with the church of Ephesus. So let's go to the first church. And I believe as we look at the first church, let's check our hearts, see whether the Lord is speaking to us about anything that needs a shift in our own lives. All right. So the first church is the church in Ephesus. All right. So let me read the, the seven verses for you and then we'll get into it. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me. Do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So I want to, first of all, talk to you about this church in Ephesus. All right? Um, historically, this is what the church in Ephesus was going through. First of all, that city, right, was a commercial and export center. That's what Ephesus was. It had three great trade routes that converged into the city, right? And so everyone who wanted to trade, right, would come through Ephesus. And so it was a trading city. It was a commercial city, right? And in other words, it was the center for money making. You wanted to make money, you go to Ephesus, all right? Because that's where you can build your wealth. So a church that is placed in a city like that has to struggle with the challenges that come with this concept of, I need to make money every day, all right? Which, where's my opportunity to build wealth? And uh, so when, when a city is just focusing on wealth, focusing on getting rich, all right? The church in that city will struggle also with that kind of atmosphere, all right? Jesus spoke about that in the parable of the sower and, and warned us, all right? And he said this, he talked about the seed sown in, among thorns, and he says, he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Nothing wrong with riches, but Jesus was saying that riches has a deceptive tone to it. Wealth has a deceptive tone to it, right? And, and Jesus called it the, decept, the deceitfulness of riches. I, I once read an article about J.D. Rockefeller, right? I mean, listen to this. His net worth at that time Right, was 1% of the US economy. That was his net worth. All right? So he was a little rich. All right? And he was asked by one reporter, how much money is enough money? His answer, just a little bit more. You know? But think about it. That's the, de the deceitfulness of riches. 
just a little bit more. I just got to make a little bit more money. I just got. I remember um, when we were kids, and that's where we were kids when we got married. You know, we had this broken down mini, right? And we were so happy with it, right? Then we just needed a little bit more. Right? Just a better car, maybe, that doesn't break down all the time. Then we, had a, uh, then we got this two-door Honda. We were so happy with it. It was red and it was just running great. Then our first child came. Very difficult baby bassinet in the back of the car. Just a little bit more. Maybe a four-door vehicle. All right? Then it wasn't conducive to share a house with another family. Or if we only had our rent, we were able to rent our own place. Then we rented our own place. And then, oh, but it's five, five, uh, five um, stories high. And we had to walk up the stairs. And it's so difficult. Oh, if we only had a, a, a house that we could rent out. You know, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Right? Now, the last rental property that I wanted to rent was, I said, Lord, can I have a house next to the beach? <laughs> Just a little bit more. Right? Look, all I'm saying is this. The church in Ephesus had to deal with this choking environment of just a little bit more. And we have to deal with that in our own lives as well. And as a church in this city, we have to deal with that as well. Right? The second thing that the church in Ephesus had to deal with was the corruption of religion, right? They had built this massive temple, right, called the Temple of Artemis, which is actually the Temple of Diana in Latin, right? And it, in fact, it is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was so massive, right, and huge. And people from all over the world would come to visit this temple, right? But this temple also churned out good business, Right, because you could go there and you get these blessed little um, statues and and ornaments that you could get that would be a blessing to you. All right, and so it's amazing how wealth and the, the the need for just a little bit more can creep into even religion. Right, and religion becomes a trading place. All right, religion becomes a commodity to trade with. Now I know that this was a cult. But it can creep into the church as well. And, and the church can suddenly look at itself as a trading commodity. We will offer you good services. We will offer you fantastic sermons. We will have this massive, wonderful team that will preach to you. We'll keep you all comfortable. In exchange, you've got to up your tithes and your offerings. Right? And so we preach every Sunday about tithes and offerings. We don't. All right, and that's why I'm not putting on weight. <laughs> Come on, guys. All I'm saying is this. We've got to watch this thing about turning our faith into a commodity. Right? And so that, that's the challenge that they had. Right? That let's not make Sunday the place where we come and get our fix. Whatever fix you're looking for in religion. Right? This place is for us to come and worship the songs that we sang, coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. And when we gather together, let it be all about Him. When we fellowship here together, let it be all about Him. 
right? And so the church in Ephesus had to fight the temptation to rival commercial religion, all right? Finally, the influence of false teachers, right? And they had to battle that in their city as well because it attracted, all right, teachers that um, were trying to make money out of teaching, all right? And, and Paul did mention that a few, 30 over years before that, Paul mentioned this in Acts 20, 29 to 30. And he was speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus and he said this, I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So the church of Ephesus had to be mature enough and discerning enough to know the difference between God's word and man-made ideas of God. And I think we, we, will have to, we, we will have to know this still. We'll have to grow up and mature, be mature enough to know what is man's opinion and what is actually what God is saying in his word. Right? So... Those are the things that the church in Ephesus was um, dealing with. And let's be honest, we deal with this as well in our own lives. And then you will see that John will then talk. Jesus will commend them. Then Jesus will speak concern or really criticize some of the things they were doing. And then finally, there's a correction or call to change. All right? And so let's look at first the commendation that was given to this church, zealously defending the truth. Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. They were zealous for the truth, all right? Um, And the thing is this, there is a need for us to test everything. Right? Test every word that we allow ourselves to be influenced by. Is it from the Lord? So they were zealous to test everything. Right? You test the message. After the sermon like this, do you go back and you test what he said? Does that make sense with scriptures? Does it align with scriptures? Right? You see in the book of Acts, there was the Berean church. It said um, in Acts 17, 10 to 12, every night they uh, when when Sorry, it says when Paul and Silas arrived in Berea, right? They went to the Jewish synagogue and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. The Bible calls them noble. That's the right thing to do, right? Here is the apostle Paul teaching. It wasn't Andrew Kulasingham. It was the Apostle Paul. And in spite of that, they chose to go back and check if that aligned with scriptures. That's, every, that's our responsibility as an individual. Check the message. Always check the message to see if it aligns with scripture. Right? But don't, not only test the message, test the messenger. 1 John 3, 24. He who keeps his commands abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits, whether they are of God, 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do you know whether you test the messenger? Is the person abiding in God? By your fruits you will know. And I think this is something we don't do well enough. Because sometimes you'll see people preaching their heart out about certain sins and later you'll find out that's the exact thing they are struggling with in secret. Right? So we didn't, we didn't check that enough with them. We didn't question that. We didn't test it enough so that they would look back into their own lives and change. Right? So I'm inviting you to do that. Test the messenger. Test the message. Because that's what God has called us to do. Be zealous all right, in um, defending the word of God, the truth. But there was a concern. And this was the concern. Their zealousness had turned to unholy zeal. Right? The unholy zeal in fighting for truth. Verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You know, sometimes you fight for something, you fight for something, you fight for truth, fight for truth, fight for truth, and you suddenly realize you're more of a fighter fighting for something and you've forgotten to love. Right? Um, there's this phrase that I've heard and I found it helpful, and it says, love the sin, hate the sinner. I've come to this point that I don't think it's very helpful. I'll tell you why. Love and hate cannot go together. You will either love or you will hate. Love and hate can't go together. It's like water and oil, right? And this was what was going on in the church of Ephesus, right? They started hating, hating, hating to the point they forgot that in their zeal for truth that they've forgotten to love, forgotten to love God and forgotten to love themselves and their neighbors. They just focused on the truth, you know? And so I say to myself this, that... I will love the sinner. Let God deal with the sin. Because that's what he did with me. He loved me enough to deal with my sin. Right? He didn't hate my sin. He took my sin on the cross. That's not a hate act. That is the most loving act. And I think this is something we need to think about. Because sometimes in our zealousness to hate the sin, we end up showing hate to the sinner. And so, this is what um, Jesus told the church, right? You have left, you have left your first love. The Greek word left means to send away, to bid going away, or depart. It's what we will use for a husband who's divorcing his wife. In other words, he said, you have divorced, right? You have divorced um, your first love. In your zeal for truth, to defend the truth, you have divorced your defense of truth with love, right? And this is what I want to say to you. The zeal divorced from love is a destructive force. Zeal divorced from love is a destructive force. I'm seeing this more and more today in the circles of Christianity. And we've got to put a check in our lives. Because you can be zealous for God, right? But if you divorce your zealousness from love, you are going to be a destructive force. 
Let me say this. Truth without love will stunt growth. Ephesians 4.15 Speaking the truth in love that you may grow up in all things. If you don't speak truth with love, you will stunt growth. And sometimes we can be speaking truth, speaking truth. Even as parents, we can be speaking truth without love. And with, if you speak just truth without love, you are stunting emotional growth. And so many children are growing up with stunted emotions, even in the church. Because we are speaking truth, speaking truth, but there is no love. The hands that embrace. Look at how Father God deals with us. Always lovingly. Always lovingly. Truth without love will stunt growth. Truth without love creates an environment of death. 1 John 3, 14-15 He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Isn't that crazy? If I said that to you, you'd be mad with me. But you can't be mad with the Apostle John. It's the word of God. When we have truth without love, it creates a situation where it, you die. The person that you are trying to give truth to without love, you are presenting an environment where the person will die. That is not the Christian faith. We live in an environment of life. Second, finally, truth without love will cloud one's judgment. Philippians 1, 9-10 And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. Paul is saying, let love grow, let love grow, let love grow. Because the more love abounds in you, you will have discernment. And you will be able to have good judgment on how you behave in your life. And that's how it produces an excellence in your life. It produces sincerity without offense. Truth without love can cloud your judgment. So we looked at the commendation. Very quickly, I'm going to look at the correction. I'm aware of time. The correction was this. Remember and repent. Right? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. This is it. Remember your first love. Do you remember the first person you fell in love with? Unfortunately. <laughs> Why do I ask this question when Gerald's around? Right? God speaking to his people. Jeremiah 2.2 I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. Can you hear the heart of God? Here's a, here's a people now who has rejected him. In, once Jeremiah was ministering to his people, they had enough of God. They rejected God. And here is this lover of the soul saying to them, I remember when you loved me, when you, you, you longed to please me. I, want, I look at this and you look at the progression there. You longed to please me, you loved me, and you followed me. And I say this, this is a good progression to look at. If you want to love God, start with the eagerness to please him. 
You please, if you are eagerly pleasing yourself, you will love yourself. And you're wondering, why do I love myself so much? Because you are very eager to please yourself. But if you eagerly please God, you will love Him. And let me say this, when you, the more you love Him, the easier it is to follow Him. Because you will follow the one you love. I'll follow anywhere my wife goes because she'll be concerned about me. I don't know whether she'll follow everywhere I go. <laughs> Eager to please creates an environment of love. And when you love him, you will follow him. But not just remember. Repent and do first works. What is the first work of the church? What is the first work of the church? What is the first work of every Christian? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. What was the church called? What did Jesus call the church? Lampstand, right? And so he's referring to this lampstand. And he said, it gives light to all who are in this house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Dear friends, when you are in a dark, dark place and you cannot see, what is the most important thing you're looking for? Not to hear, but to see. And the church is very good in talk. But people are not looking to hear. They're looking to see the Father. And so Jesus was very clear. Repent. Repent means change the way you think. We are lampstands. That means we are visible whether we like it or not. Our testimony is the most important thing that you could guard. Who do people say we are as a church? That's our testimony. Who do people say we are as individuals? That's our testimony. It's visible whether you like it or not. And so Jesus is saying to the church and to the individual, repent, change the way you think. You are a lampstand. You are visible. You are meant to shine the light, to change the dark environment we are living in. And then he says, not just repent, not just change the way you think. Do change the way you act. Good works is what draws people to God. Let them see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I've said this. Seek after your own pleasures, you will love yourself. Seek to please God, you will love Him. And when you love Him, it's easy to follow Him. But not only that, Remember, repent and do. So I close with these words. Zeal divorced from love is a destructive force. First love is a life pursuit to please God. First works is an overflow of that love relationship. Good testimony, good works. So this morning, as we close and as we go, and our own ways Monday will come and when Monday comes I want you to remember you're a lampstand 
You're bright, you're shining, you're visible. I also want you to know that the world is a dark place and they don't need zealous people without love. There's enough pain in this world without us adding more. And so my call to you and to myself is this. Let's put in a little bit more love in our lives. Right? Let our lights shine. Let's get back to God first. That first love experience. And then when there is first love experience, let's do the first works we were called to do. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. For more resources, or if you would like to support this ministry, visit us at activefaith.org.nz.